right, everybody? If you saw this morning, I posted pretty early to bring your paper Bible to church. I don't know if you know what this is, but paper Bible, and hopefully you did. I had lots of people come and say, I can't believe you asked me to bring my Bible to church this morning. So if you have it, bust it out. We're going to get into this today. If you don't have this, hopefully you have this, and it's on here as well. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Philippians today, and we're going to become experts on the book of Philippians. Uh, So go ahead and turn there with me. Like Pastor Ron just said, we are in a series called Twisted, and this is where we're looking at verses that are commonly taken out of context, that are twisted, and we're going to untwist them, we're going to put them in their right context, and really get the meaning of what God's heart is for us. Um, But before we get in there, maybe while you turn there, it's totally okay if you have to use the index in the beginning to find the book of Philippians. But as you're turning there, I just, you know, we're praying for Danny Randolph's family here, and there's so many things that happened. But there's one one thing that I do want to acknowledge what's happening is the prayer and worship revival happening at Asbury University. I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, just Google it, and you can read all about it. It's pretty incredible to see what's happening just three hours north of here in Kentucky. I just want to acknowledge it. Isn't it awesome to see young people gathering together? If you don't know, again, it's been two weeks now, and what was just a chapel service has turned into two weeks of prayer and worship and just young people and people even from the world flying in just to see what's going on. And here's all I will say about this. Whether it's the beginning of a historic revival that's talked about 100 years from now, or whether it was just two powerful weeks of young people worshiping together, my prayer is why not, why not just pray that God would bring revival to our nation? Yeah. And so, I would encourage you, let's just continue. Okay, again, why not? Why not be committed to worship? Why not just get in groups and pray together? Why not worship together? Why not pray? Why not now? Why not here? Why not in this church? Why not in this city? Why not in our state, in our nation? Again, what's happening there, we don't know. We don't know if it's going to be just two weeks but why not pray that God would be in the beginning of of an awakening here in our world, and why not let it start with us here? So keep praying for that. It's pretty awesome to see. Just wanted to acknowledge it. Uh, So we're in week three of Twisted, and Pastor Ron has said this a couple times. When truth gets twisted, bad things happen. When truth gets twisted, bad things happen. So I just, I wrote a few bad things that might happen. False theological belief systems get formed on twisted truth. Sin gets celebrated within the four walls of so-called Christian churches when truth gets twisted. I wrote, the reality of hell gets erased when truth gets twisted. People are deceived and led astray when truth gets twisted. And so our prayer with this series, again, there's so much twisted truth out there present that we could spend years but we're just giving it four weeks to untwist truth 
that has been so commonly taken out of context. And our heart for this church is that we would be hungry for the word of God and not just hungry for the word, but hungry for it accurately, to know it accurately. In the pastoral team, we've had so many conversations on how can we equip our congregation to love the word and know it accurately. And we're, we have some pretty neat things hopefully coming up even this year to help equip our church to know the word and know it accurately. And so today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It's the famous verse. You've heard it. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The most common arena that this verse gets twisted is in the sports and fitness world. I can do all things. I can lift 300 pounds through Christ who strengthens me. I can hit home runs. I can score touchdowns through Christ who strengthens me. I can win the game. I can win championships through Christ who strengthens me. I used to see it all the time. Of course, you know, Tim Tebow, he's kind of the one that made it with the eye stickers, Philippians 4.13. You see it in, on sports fields, in locker rooms, in fitness places. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, all things as in what I can do, what I can achieve through Christ who strengthens me. It's twisted though. That's not what this verse means. And actually to know what it means is a life-changing, glorious truth. And so today we're gonna untwist this verse and see what it means in its context. And Pastor Ron shared in week one a good format to follow that I'm just going to follow for my message. So a good format, when it comes to interpreting scripture, he gave three steps to proper Bible interpretation. Number one, understand the context. Everybody say context. Understand the context. This is when you ask, who wrote the book? To whom was it written to? Why was it written? And of course, asking when it comes to a singular verse, what comes before that verse? What comes after? These are questions to ask to understand the context. And the second step to Bible interpretation is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Meaning, is this the first time that we see this in the Bible? Is it supported or referenced in the Old Testament? Does Jesus teach on this? The biggest example I'll spend the rest of my life using as an illustration on this topic is the book of Revelation. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're most likely going to interpret Revelation as this crazy, twisted series of events. But if you know the Old Testament, you see most of Revelation is rooted in the Old Testament. You interpret Revelation with the Old Testament. This is so important. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. And the last thing to do when we interpret scripture, number three, always apply what you learn. We don't just hear and learn, we do. We apply. The greatest tragedy that can occur in a Christian is the believer who knows the word in and out. They are a walking Bible commentary, yet never actually live out the word. They don't live it out in their work in their home, in their church, 
in their lives. Always apply what you learn. Again, the great tragedy is to hear and then sit down. When the Bible commands us to hear and do, hear and apply, hear and obey. And so I pray that this church would not be a church full of hearers and sitters, but hearers and doers. So with these three steps, I want to use it as a guide to study. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here we go. Ready? You're going to know the book of Philippians in detail today. So Philippians is a short book. Again, if you have it, if you've opened the book, you can see it's only like two or three pages. It's four chapters. And today I hope to give you a survey of this book. So hopefully you have, again, your paper Bibles, but if you don't, you have it maybe on your phone. This book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi. And and a side note, this summer we're going to study the book of Acts in detail. We're going to take June and July to study Acts. And part of that study is we're going to get to see the origination of this church of Philippi. We're going to see how the Apostle Paul used a few people to plant this church in a very uncommon way. And we're going to get to see that this summer. So the Apostle Paul, he planted the church of Philippi. And now he is the author of this book and wrote to this church, the body of believers in Philippi, which was known to be a beautiful city. It was like the vacation and retirement spot. So that city that you people that you dream of retiring in, that was Philippi. People wanted to retire in Philippi, and so because of that, it was filled with people who were retired Roman military. So your, your gladiators that retired, your Roman generals that retired, your uh, Olympic athletes that retired, they all wanted to retire and live in Philippi. And so because of that, you had a very disciplined and motivated group of people in this city. And the believers of Jesus in this city were known to be very disciplined and motivated. They did the right things. And so Paul, he was in prison, and he's writing this book. And the reason that he wrote to this church was, number one, in response to a gift that they gave. So this church sent a generous, probably financial gift and gave it to the Apostle Paul, and it was delivered by a guy named Epaphroditus. So you see this in chapter 4, verse 18, when Paul says in the letter, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul receives this gift from Epaphroditus on behalf of the church of Philippi, And here's what most likely happened. Paul's praising God. Thank you for the gift. This is awesome. It's amazing. Epaphroditus, how's it going? Give me an update. How's the church going? Tell me about the believer. How are the people? Is the gospel advancing? Are the believers, are they getting persecuted? Is there any sin corrupting the people? How can I encourage them? Or do I need to rebuke somebody? Give me an update. And so I just imagine the Apostle Paul in prison, Epaphroditus there, and he gives them an update. And so what you have in this book is 
It's, it's unlike other books. In other books, what you'll see is really sharp rebukes from the Apostle Paul. Stop doing this. If you don't stop, when I come, I'm going to bring the rod. In this book, we don't have that. But what we do have is a few little pastoral corrections. An example kind of makes me laugh. Chapter 4, verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, Now I appeal to Yodia and Sintash. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. So I can just imagine Paul as he gets the update from Epaphroditus. He says, oh yeah, the sisters are at it again. They can't agree on the color to paint the children's ministry wall. And they are in combat. And I can imagine Paul going, please, sisters, agree, settle your differences. I think it's kind of funny, but it's a real life. That the church of Philippi had real life, real issues going on. And Paul addresses that. But it was just small, minor pastoral directions. And so Epaphroditus gives them an update how things are going. And Paul, directed by the Spirit, he thanks them for the gift. But there's two things that Paul notices that he needs to address. And you see it throughout this book. It's the church of Philippi's joy and their thinking. Their joy and their thinking. And Paul really drills down the importance of having joy in the Lord and correct thinking. And so through this book, he's going after their joy. Again, this church was known to be disciplined. They did the right thing. But how many of you know you can do the right thing and not have joy in doing it? How many of you know... You can do the right thing, but the whole time you're thinking is, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. I have to wake up again. I'm on the schedule again to serve at the church. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be early, but my thinking's off. So Paul sees this church doing what's right, but he's, he hears through this report, but they don't have joy. They're getting kind of discouraged. And again, what this church was facing was persecution. So because of their faith, they were getting attacked. They were probably getting rejected, made fun of, probably were losing and seeing things not happen but just because of their professed faith in Christ. And you can imagine in that another rejection, another one of our brothers pulled out of the church and taken to jail. You could imagine their joy start to decrease and their mindset start to get a little off. And so Paul addresses their joy and they're thinking. And just the clearest way I can show you in chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, you see it. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And if you didn't hear me the first time, again, I say, rejoice. Rejoy. Be encouraged. Be full of joy. He's saying, have joy in the Lord. And I'll say it again and again. Have joy because God has redeemed us. He has made us children of God. This life might be hard, but this life is not it. Have joy. You're a son and daughter of God. He has paid the price. Have joy. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at. He's saying, don't get tired. Don't get weary. Don't lose your joy. Keep going. But then in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here we go. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't allow the worry of situations or persecution in the future crush you. 
or torment your mind. Don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul was addressing their thinking, their mind. Stop worrying. Trust God. Pray to God. He'll guard your heart and your mind. And then to just cap it all off, a verse, a passage of Scripture you've probably seen lots of times. Verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Don't be thinking about the other stuff. Think about these things. Joy and thinking. This is what the whole book of Philippians is about. And this is the main reason Paul writes this letter. To have joy and have the right mindset. And so that leads us back to our verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So hopefully you have it in front of you. Let's let's read a few verses before chapter 4, verse 13. Let's start in verse 10. Where Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So Paul is saying, I have great joy in the Lord that finally you show me your care by sending me the gift you gave. The generosity of the church blessed Paul and it caused him to have joy in the Lord. But... Paul wants to be crystal clear that they don't hear what he is not saying. And, and I, I'm, this is my guess. We can ask Jesus when we get there. But my guess is that the reason, the reason Paul wanted to be so clear is because he knew they were in a weak mind place. He knew that their thinking may have been weak. So he wants to be crystal clear that they don't hear what he is not saying. Which is why he says right after he wanted to be sure what they didn't hear was finally, finally you gave me a gift. I started to doubt you cared in me. Finally you show up with a gift. He wanted to make sure they didn't hear that, which is why he goes to say, you were concerned for me. You just didn't have an opportunity. Paul validates, I know you're concerned for me. You just didn't have an opportunity to bless me, but now you do. And you sent a generous gift. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But the second thing Paul wanted to be clear on was that he wasn't all about the money. What he wasn't saying is, finally, the gift is here. This is what I'm after. This is why I do ministry, really, because of the money. The Apostle Paul wanted to be clear that that's not what he was saying, which is why he says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, I don't need the money. I don't need gifts. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In its context, you see it. The beautiful truth placed in context. Paul says, I have no needs. I have learned in any and every situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. 
the lowest of lows, beatings, prison, rejection, false accusations. And I know how to abound, be accepted, loved, cared for. And Paul says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, the key, the answer, the secret that was hidden, but now it's revealed. The secret behind facing plenty, food on the table, and hunger, not sure when I'm going to eat again. Abundance, clothes on my back, nice house, nice shoes, nice bed to sleep in, and need, cold outside with no place to go. And Paul says, here it is, here's the secret. This is the answer to being content in every circumstance. Any situation I face here, here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The all things here isn't achievement or accomplishment. It's circumstance and situations. All things is a reference to the comparative statements he gave in the verses right before. I can be content and being brought low and abounding through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in plenty and hunger through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in abundance and need through Christ who gives me strength. Paul's happiness and joy wasn't dependent on whether he had much or little, whether he had plenty or he was hungry. His happiness and joy was rooted in Christ in Christ alone. That's it. That's it. It wasn't like 98% Jesus and then 2% his food or his house or his money or his car. It was 100% Jesus. A guy named Gerald Hawthorne wrote in a theology book I was reading through this week. And I was like, I just got to say it exactly how he said it, but I got to give him credit. So this is what he said. He said, joy for Paul is an understanding of existence that can include both elation and oppression, delight and dismay, affliction and ease, prosperity and poverty, because joy is that which enables the Christian to see beyond the circumstances of life to the sovereign Lord who stands above all circumstances and has ultimate control of them. Joy is that which enables the Christian to see beyond circumstances like plenty or lack, abundance or need, good times or struggling times. True Christ-like and Holy Spirit-enabled joy allows us to see above circumstances to Jesus, who stands above it all and has control over them. This is what Paul was saying when he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And this idea of Christ strengthening us, it's echoed throughout all of Paul's letters. This was a common thing that he said, just to prove it to you. In Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, his, and in the strength of his might. He's the one who's strong, and it's in his might that we are strong. He says it again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. And again in 2 Timothy 2.1, 
when he says, You then, my child Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. It's echoed throughout all of his letters. No matter the circumstance or situation, no matter how hard things get, this is the secret to true contentment. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through the one who sees the big picture. The secret is Jesus. It will always be Jesus. It will never not be Jesus. The answer to the world is Jesus. The answer to your struggle is Jesus. The key to life and not anything else and will never be anything else is Jesus. The one we need in every circumstance and season of life is Jesus. In every context, it will always be Jesus. Every generation, every culture, every people group, the answer will always be Jesus. And the world will spend its time trying to find an alternative, and it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. You and I have probably spent seasons of our life trying to find an alternative, and it's just not going to work. Though people may fail us, though circumstances may change, though our bodies may change and fail us, one thing will remain, Christ, who gives us strength. Yeah. And so this is Philippians 4.13 in its context. It gives it a little bit more meaning when you understand it in its rightful place. And so what I hope you're seeing is the deep truth that we can really believe in Jesus and we can really allow him to affect every aspect of our life and that the Holy Spirit can do such a mighty work in us, like Paul, that we can be truly and deeply content in life no matter the circumstance or season. But for the majority of us, if not all of us, we would agree with half of what the Apostle Paul is saying. If we were honest, maybe not all of us, but most of us, we would agree with half. It's extremely easy to be content and full of joy and abundance, high-fiving people on the way in when the money's there, when our plates are full and we know where lunch is going after church, when the stress is little, I'm content and I'm full of joy. Jesus is great. But then comes the second half. The lack. The unmet prayer request. The struggle. The hunger. The need. How can we be content in that context? How? Is it possible? Because it seems impossible. I mean, I've said this so many times. It feels like the last month in my house has just been nothing but sickness. It's like when one gets better, another drops. When that one gets better, another drops. There's another cough. He threw up. Okay. And all the while, I'm like, how can I be content in this place? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> how can I be satisfied in Christ with this? And that's just my kids getting sick. 
some of the stories I hear of what you guys are facing, how can you be content in Christ in that context? Lack, need, unmet prayer requests. You ready for the answer? Only in Christ. It's a beautiful mystery. It's a work only of the Spirit of God. It's allowing the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to change our thinking, to change our perspectives. It's falling in love with Jesus and falling out of love with the world. It's falling in love with Jesus and falling out of love with the pleasures that life may give us. It's a heavenly perspective that sees this life as not the end-all, be-all, but rather this life as the battlefield in which I will fight to advance Jesus' church. It's only through Christ who gives us that strength that we can truly be content with whatever comes our way. Come what may, I have Christ. It's hard. It's hard to see that when your kids are sick. It's hard to see that when you're in the hospital again. It's hard to see that when you get a text that your best friend's little girl is back in Nashville, in the hospital. I mean, on and on and on the list could go. But that doesn't change the truth. The truth is we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so with that in mind, we've studied it in its context. We see it supported by other scripture. Now we have, let's apply it. Let's apply what we've learned. How can we, like Paul, be truly content in Christ through any and every season of life? And here are some applicable truths for you. Take pictures, write it down, memorize it, whatever. But here's the first one. In the good situations and seasons, recognize that we do not deserve this abundance and realize it is the grace of God that we enjoy his gifts. I tried to record that and shorten it, and I just couldn't. But in the good situations and seasons, number one, recognize that we don't deserve this. The moment you feel entitled, I deserve this, I deserve health, I deserve I deserve, you did, you earned it, you worked for it, but in the grand scheme of things, you don't deserve it. You are a sinner before a holy God, and it is by his grace that he would give us anything. He doesn't have to. And that's a right perspective to have. And this is Paul's mindset. He lived life open-handed like this to everything except for Jesus. He lived life like this, with everything, where he was sleeping, what he was eating, money, friends, people, churches, Christ. He did not live open-handed with Christ. That was the one thing he closed his hand on. But everything else, you can take it, God. You can have it. You can give me more or you can take it away. I can have nothing or I can have a lot, but it's like this. Paul held everything open-handed because he knew that things come and go. Paul knew what it was like to have money. He knew what it was like to walk around and people to know his name and to go, oh my gosh, that's Saul. He knew what it was like to have titles. But Paul counted everything as nothing. You see this again in the chapter before, Philippians 3, verse 4 through 8. He says, if anyone thinks... He has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of, or of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. All that is a fancy way of saying I was the big deal. I was at the top. We could study through each of those things one day, but not today. But that was a way of saying I was at the top. I had it all. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In the good situations and seasons, Paul recognized he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve abundance, and he realized it's the grace of God that we enjoy his gifts. And so may we too, us here, hold everything in life except for Jesus like this. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm good, but then you look in your blind spot and you see this. Yeah, but my job, don't take that away from me, God. Yeah, 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 but my health, you can't take, yeah, I'm open-handed, but my money, all open-handed and recognize it as a gift from God. So when we eat the food, when we drink the drink, when we go on a vacation, when we relax, when we stare at the beautiful sunset, when we're at the beach, when we're in the nice clothes, when we're in the nice cars, when we're in a beautiful church property like this, sitting in cushioned seats, whatever, whatever context we may find life, it's kind of nice. Recognize it as a gift. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's not something that I'm entitled to, but it's a gift by your grace that you gave, knowing that it all could change in an instant. It all could change. I don't say that to make you anxious. Go back to Philippians 4. Don't be anxious. But I say that to be truthful because it could change, but he won't. He's the gift giver in a practical way that I want to encourage you to see this play out is just to be thankful, to thank God constantly for the gifts he has given you. Allow your prayer time to be filled with God. Thank you for my wife. God, thank you for my kids. God, thank you for my car. Thank you for my shoes. Thank you for everything. Thank you for my phone. Thank you for my Bible. Thank you for my shirt, all of it. Thank you. Because it's in that place that we put everything in its proper place. Because he's the gift giver. In the good situations and seasons, recognize that we don't deserve this abundance. And realize it's the grace of God that we can enjoy his gifts. Amen? But it all could change. Which leads to the second truth. The lows in life are our greatest teachers of contentment in Christ. Remember verse 11 in chapter 4, Paul said, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. How did Paul learn? Who taught him? Who were his teachers? The lows of life. He answers it in the verses following. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. 
but I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ. It was being brought low, the hunger, the need that taught him the valuable lessons of being content in Christ and entirely satisfied in Christ. So for us, again, this goes against our natural views towards suffering and hard seasons. But according to scripture, we can actually view these seasons as gifts from God to teach us true contentment in Christ. Again, there's a lot that could be said with that. But the seasons that painfully drive us to our knees and cause us to look up and see the only one that will never leave us, these seasons are gifts. It isn't the answer to our prayer that will fulfill our soul. It's the one we pray to that will fulfill our soul. It's not the answer to my prayer request that is going to fulfill all desires of my heart. Only the one I'm praying to can do that. And this is why the laws of life are our greatest teachers. Now, to be clear, what I'm not saying is that we should just accept all the lows of life and never pray that it'll change. No. Scripture tells us, come to God. He hears us when we pray. In fact, he can work a miracle like that. If it's a health issue, he can heal. If it's a circumstance issue, he can change it. We should never stop praying and believing that the miracle-working God would work miracles. While at the same time, we can view seasons of suffering and hardship as gifts teaching us that I can do all things only through Christ who gives me strength. And I want you to hear me on this. If you find yourself still in the midst of being brought low, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of being in need, you need God to pull through for you, I want to echo Paul. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things, all being brought low, all struggle, all suffering. You can do it through Christ who strengthens you. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope because, number three, be confident in that God turns all misery for good. You can be confident that this is who God is. He turns all misery for good. I don't know how he does it, but he does. I mean, we'll go to chapter one of Philippians. Again, we're, being, we're becoming experts of the book. We'll have a test at the end of church. You can only leave if you pass it. Just kidding. You see this in chapter one, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's referring to being in prison, that he was thrown in jail because of his faith, which at first probably seemed like a setback. He was probably beat up. He was probably tortured. He was probably starving. But Paul says, the misery that is happening to me, actually, God has used it to advance the gospel. Because he says in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, imprisonment, imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So not only did Paul's misery get turned to good by the prison workers seeing Jesus, but he starts to hear that him being in prison, proclaiming Christ, is actually encouraging the Christians on the outside to be bold. Paul saw his misery turn for good. God works all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purposes, for those who love Christ. This is just what God does. It should give us hope. God makes beauty out of ashes. He makes beautiful things out of the worst things. He just does. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And this should give us hope. And here's the last thing as we close. The last applicable truth to help us be content. Again, what we're after is to unlock the secret that Paul found. Again, what I, what I don't want to do is just read Paul's writings in particular and be like, gosh, Paul was amazing. I'll never be like that. That's not true. We can be like Paul as he was like Christ. We can be content in life, no matter the circumstance. In the middle of pain and suffering, we can somehow be content in Christ. So the last applicable truth is this. Remember that the gift of Christ surpasses all things. The gift of Jesus surpasses all things. This is why Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1, it's a verse you've probably heard before. He says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If Paul was living, he was living for Christ. And if he were to die, he considered it gain. Paul even mentions, mentions a few verses down that he actually kind of wishes he could die because he knows when he dies, he's going to see Jesus. But he says, but I think I'm going to stay because it's to your benefit that I stay. I got to keep planting churches. I got to keep seeing the gospel go. But if I died, I wouldn't be mad about it. This was Paul's life motto. Paul was the living testimony that Christ is the true gift that surpasses all things. True joy is found in Christ alone. Everything in our lives, and again, I don't say this to freak you out, but just think. Everything in our lives could change. Literally everything we have could go away. Ask Job how that goes. If you did the Bible recap, you read Job. You, he, everything that he had, everything that was normal, it left. People could leave us, friends could leave us, but Jesus would never leave us. Jesus would be there. And I think about it for me. This is not going to happen, but my wife could leave me. She could just be like, I'm done with you, I'm out. My kids could grow up and never talk to me. Pastor Ron could fire me. And, and for no reason, for no, nothing I deserve, we'll just use the example and say, I didn't deserve it, but let's just say I got fired. My family leaves me. All my money could disappear. All my friends could turn their backs on me. I could literally find myself tomorrow in a place 
with nothing, yet with everything, because Christ, my Jesus, would still be there. And he's the gift that surpasses all things. Now, I know none of that stuff's going to happen, but if it did, I have the gift that surpasses all things in Christ. This was Paul's mindset. This was his belief. This was his way of thinking. And he was writing it to the church of Philippi to get them to think this way. Because thinking this way leads to joy. And now the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, is now speaking the same message to us. That we too can have Paul's mindset. That he was open-handed with everything except Christ. He knew the lows in life were the greatest teachers of contentment. He knew God turns misery into good. And ultimately, Paul knew that the gift of Christ surpasses all things. And this thinking leads to joy. Because joy is being content in Christ above all things. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Do you receive that? Would you stand with me? So this is Philippians chapter 4, 13 in its place. And again, I, all week, the question that I've asked is, how, Lord? How do I have this mindset like Paul? How do I view everything, every good thing? How do I hold every good thing open-handed and hold every bad thing open-handed? How do I hold all of my stuff, my belongings, my relationships? How do I hold it like this? And how do I trust you in the mi middle of pain and suffering? And, and the whole thing I kept hearing in response to that question is the Holy Spirit say, that's my job. That's my job to do that work in your heart. That this is, there's no six steps to Paul's mindset book. That's just not out there. It is believers in Christ digging into the word it is believers in Christ praying to God. It is believers in Christ gathering together to worship Jesus. And in the middle of all of those things we know to do, the Holy Spirit just somehow mysteriously shifts our heart. And now all of a sudden we start to see life like Paul saw. And so the, what I literally wrote in my notes is pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work. That's all I can pray. And the response to this message isn't, if you leave here and you do these six things, this is the way. <laughs> it's not it. It is us praying in faith, Holy Spirit, do a work in our heart. And so if you would with me, just stretch your arms out. Again, there's no magic in this, but just, I do this as a way to show God I'm open. I'm rece I receive anything that you have for me. And so, Lord, our response to this message is, Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, help us to have the heart that Paul had. Help us to view all things 
through your filter, God. Help us to hold everything in our lives with an open hand. God, I pray for those right now that are in the middle of struggle, in the middle of pain, in the middle of a season they didn't really want to be in. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them there, that it's in that place, God, would you teach us true satisfaction and contentment, not with the answer to our prayer, but in you. God, I pray that you would help us, help our church to be thankful in all things. God, thank you for our spouses. Thank you for our kids. God, thank you for our families. God, thank you for our church family. Thank you for this church building. God, thank you for a room that has AC. God, we thank you for the cars that we're going to walk out to to drive in. Thank you for the money we have in our bank accounts. God, we're thankful. But Lord, we put them in their place. We thank you that you are the gift giver. Help us to just steward these gifts well. But in our hearts, be truly content in you, God. Holy Spirit, would you do that work in us? Would you do that work in us? We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, aren't you thankful for the word of God? Thankful for Jesus? Yeah.